This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt. Uh, later on, I'm going to be speaking to Jerry Scott about the spring statement and then we're going to be crowning a Brexit of the week with Steve Anglesey as well but I'm joined by the editor of the New European Matt Kelly Matt welcome hey um I wanted to talk about our cover this week so we Zoe Williams has done a piece on Jeremy Corbyn just talk us through it I think it's a brilliant piece by Zoe I said to her and I meant it that I thought it was one of the best pieces we've published yeah uh what is it now issue 87 so you know we've published some great pieces this is terrific in its in its kind of breadth and the level of thinking that Zoe applies to the position Corbyn is in now and why that should be in relation to Ed Miliband before and the whole Blairite yeah. movement and Cameron's positioning. and So how Corbyn has ended up where he is. And Zoe's conclusion is that, you know, somewhere underneath what we're seeing is a version of Jeremy Corbyn that should be and could be passionately remain and could have an electoral advantage, and also feel, I I suspect, more comfortable in his own skin. Yeah. Arguing for Remain quite vehemently, not because, as she says, uh, to kind of leverage or take advantage of Tory disarray, but because being passionately Remain at this point in time gives him the best route to achieving what he wants to achieve. Mm. Um, Politically... And so it's a it's a it's a really it's I mean Zoe is a terrific writer and this is a great piece. The weird thing about this week's cover is yeah. that so for people who don't know, we go to press at uh, about ten thirty in the morning That's right, yeah. on Wednesday morning, and then PMQs happens two hours later. 
and our cover this week, if they haven't seen it, and they'll be able to see it on Twitter or better still, buy a copy. Mm-hmm. Would has got um, has got Corbyn kind of ripping off a mask, showing a sort of nice, cheery Corbyn, and and a slightly more sinister Corbyn underneath, you know. Um, and and the headline says, "When the mask slips," and oddly, it completely fits the performance that he made at PMQs, where he's taken a lot of abuse for what I thought was a, a kind of... Well, I mean, look, everything he said was factually correct. Yeah, yeah. But he showed, I think, a complete lack of judgment about yeah. how and when to pick a fight over something of national security like this. And so on Twitter, of course, Twitter being Twitter, we've got a bunch of people who've seen the cover, have seen Zoe's name underneath it, and have assumed that Zoe's having an attack at him on... Uh, on Russia, nothing of the sort. With the paper had been printed by them, yeah. so um, you know what can you do about it apart from let bozos run wild? <laughs> you know they've not read the article, but that has never stopped anyone on Twitter not forming Twitter. forming an opinion about it. Loads of people who you would think would know better, um, you know, Guardian columnists and and all all these kind of axe grinding people saying, oh, look at this, how crap it is. But they, they, they don't know what the article is. So yeah, yeah. anyway, that's life. Uh, as Ringo Starr said about pu- negative publicity, I don't care what they say as long as they spell me name right. <laughs> and, um, you know, if people are talking about the new European cover, then in the long term, that's probably a, a good thing. There are some similarities, though, aren't there, between his approach to brexit and his approach to the the the, the russian incident um in the, in the past week or so because last week he caught some flack as well replying to the prime minister in the house when she made her first statement because he brought up donation russian donations yeah, to the Tories. yeah. and it felt like political point scoring when yeah. he, i mean he can score lots of political points all the time it felt like the wrong choice then i mean there's a judgment thing isn't it you know mm. there is a you know he is making political points, but he's making it in the at the wrong time and yeah. in the wrong way. And yeah. there could be, you know, he's got some really valid observations. Uh, yeah. And the observation about you know have we sent the sample to the to the organisation that monitors this stuff and to the Russians as we are supposed to do mm-hmm. is that that's a really important point. Yeah. 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 And he's absolutely right to be saying you know his job is to be the opposition and to interrogate and scrutinise the government. But I'll tell you an interesting thing that I learned when I was on the Daily Mirror. There's a very big difference between making political points before you engage the enemy. Yeah. And the minute the enemy has been engaged, you have to change your mindset. And the, the example I'm talking about was when we at the Mirror campaigned very hard against yes. the Iraq war. Yeah. And, you know, Frank, it was a great position for the paper to take. I mean, one, a real golden period of the Mirror's... Uh, time under Piers Morgan's mm-hmm. editorship, everyone forgets what brilliant stuff Piers did yeah. in that regard. But the minute we went in to Iraq, we carried on in the same kind of vein, yeah. and the readers really did not like it. No, you know, because it's our boys. It's our boys, you know. And if the, 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 there is a whatever the 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 facts of a situation are, if you are wanting to be electable, you've got to recognise the mood of the nation mm-hmm. and. And at least shows a degree of empathy with the way people feel, and if people are feeling right now, okay, we're under attack from the from the Russians, from Putin. Let's not say the Russians. Let's say yeah. Putin. Then to start going on about cuts in the diplomatic service, 
just sounds a irrelevant and b petty and c like you're missing the point yeah and where does it all come from extraordinary little bit of media nuance this week where for the first time i think your former press association yeah. journalist yeah. for the first time i think uh, pa revealed that the briefing they'd had from from labor's positioning around this was direct from seamus mill that's right yeah so no doubt Seamus is, uh, I've never met Seamus, but I know enough of him to know how influential he is yeah. with Jeremy Corbyn, yeah. and I know the kind of agendas that he holds close to his heart. Yeah. Um, and you can see the influence here very directly. And frankly, I think it is a mistake. It's bad timing. It looks bad amongst the electorate, mm. and almost worse from their point of view. It gives the Tories so much ammo yeah. Yeah. At the next election, yeah. to point at what is perceived to be Corbyn's weak spot, which is he's soft on security. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's only a month ago, maybe, maybe even less actually, that it, you know that we we learned about these meetings he'd had with Czech yeah. spies or whatever. Or, yeah. you know, um, you know, we don't need to go into whether or not he knew about their position and, and whatnot, but it, it, it kind of plays out. Well, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because I I actually thought that they played that quite well. Yeah, and. I thought that they uh, turned that around, that, that check thing, and, ma- and made the yeah. accusation look to be fairly yeah. uh, I agree. empty and, and ridiculous. <clears throat> but, of course, this now, yeah. it all starts to build a picture. <laughs> it does, rather. Um, and the naming of Seamus is in- an interesting one, because the, the, um, if, if the listener isn't aware, the, uh, the protocol normally is that the spokesman will speak to the press and will be quoted as a spokesman speaking on behalf of... Um, but the PA have obviously taken the uh, the decision that that Seamus has become part of this story. Yeah. Um, and I think it was Alistair Campbell actually that said once once a spokesman becomes a story, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Well, he Alistair knows about that. Yeah. Um, but it, I mean, I think in you know, like in the states, everybody is yeah a personality and everybody's named. I think perhaps in the old days of the of lobby briefings, there was a sense of privileged information. Mm that certain uh, members of the press got and that was you know, what defined a lobby correspondence. I remember the late, great Tony Bevins of The Independent, political editor there, removing himself from, from the lobby yeah. because he felt that it was, you know, it was a club yeah. and the relationship was too cosy. Yeah. I mean, fascinating to think back at just how cosy those relationships were, especially in the light of the Leveson inquiry, yeah. the police and, and, so, and our relationship with the police and so on and so forth. Uh, the reality was when Tony Bevins took out, took himself out of the lobby, he pretty much had to hang around the back door of the lobby and ask yeah. what, what was said. Yeah. He made a good point. Uh, these days with social media, so much leaking going on, ministers talking for themselves all of the time, briefing mm. against themselves all of the time, absolute legions of uh, special advisors, communications staff, so on and so forth, messaging constantly. I think... We've moved into a wholly different uh, place where it seems to me absolutely right that they should all be named and on the record. Yeah. That there should be complete transparency. Yeah. Ask yourself yeah. why? Why shouldn't we know who is saying these things? Mm. Mm. You know, it'd be much better for the uh, democratic process if there was complete transparency about yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, interesting point you make about the sort of privileged information stuff. I mean, you know, I've been in lobby huddles. And there are people tweeting it out as it's going on. I mean, it's yeah. very, very different now. You don't need to go to the huddle. You can just go on Twitter and right. <laughs> let one person go. That's right. Um, so, do, so is Seamus in a difficult position then? Or, I mean, 
or will it just blow no, over? I don't think. Much. I mean, if you're Seamus Mill and you're sitting there, and maybe if you're Jeremy as well, you're sitting there. They these guys don't seem to be too uh, deflected by no, external criticism. They're on a mission. Yeah. So yeah. I think for me the point is maybe you know there's a there's an element of pragmatism. You know, does Corbyn really want to be prime minister so that he can affect all of the change he wants to make? And if he does, he has got to, I think, uh, be have a little more judgment about what he says and when he says it. To be absolutely fair to him, I think, uh, generally speaking, he has he's he's been very very impressive in the last six months. Yeah. Um, since the since the election, yes. actually. Yeah, yeah. Very impressive, and this has, I think, blotted the copybook. The evidence of that is the the kind of guttural reaction from a lot of backbenchers behind mm. him. Who, mm. Who have been trying their hardest to be on message yeah, yeah. for all sorts of reasons, good yeah. and bad, but this was a step too far. So I think, you know, if Jeremy Corbyn looked himself in the in the eye in the mirror and said, you know, I have I have crossed the line here with a lot of people who have been giving me goodwill and been playing ball, mm. um, but I did I have opened up a, an opportunity for them to attack me here. That's his doing. That's no one else's doing. Yeah, just briefly before we finish. Um, a question that we asked on the pod on numerous occasions before the general election, but haven't really touched on since, is that question that you just you just mentioned there. Does Jeremy actually want to be prime minister, or or is he actually just trying to change the Labour movement and the Labour Party? Because I don't think he thought until the general election that he had a, a hope in hell's chance of being prime minister. Since then, he, he's been more prime ministerial, hasn't he? He's been totally. he's been better. But th- this and the Brexit stance, bringing it back to Brexit as well seems to suggest to me that he's trying to um, change uh, where his party is more than does he actually want to be in number 10. Well, that's always been the the sort of the thought, isn't it, that he's more interested in revolutionising Labour. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't know the answer to the question. Uh, I suspect he does want to be Prime Minister. I'll yeah. tell you why. Facile, stupid reason, but I think a human one. Remember when he was all dolled up in his nice suit and on the cover of GQ mm. and presented as as a modern, popular leader? I don't think Jeremy Corbyn would have enjoyed a single second of that. No. And, you know, that's not his game. I see him, I live, I'm in his constituency, mm-hmm. I live close to him. I mm-hmm. see him frequently on his bike, you know, with his, with his rolled up trousers and, yeah. and his cap on. And, and that, that seems to me to be the... The comfort zone he inhabits, but you you go back and look at the physical uh, presentational transformation that, that he's submitted to mm. over the last eighteen months. I think, just on a human level, he wouldn't put himself through that yeah. if he didn't feel at the end of the day that was going to be uh, the end point. Was mm. that he'd be standing outside number ten wearing a nice Marks and Spencer suit yeah. and a nice tie and no flat cap and was leading this nation and in a position to affect all the change mm. he's wanted to his whole life. I mean, it's the least of his problems, but I think it's an interesting indicator about what's going on inside Jeremy Corbyn's head. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Matt, thanks very much for your time. You're welcome. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting Podcast One 
or order online at our website www.neweuropean.co.uk Stay angry, fight Brexit, subscribe to The New European. Welcome back, I'm joined by Jerry. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, good, how are you? Good, I'm very, very, very well. Really well. Really well. Oh, goodness me. Best you have been. Oh, yes. Um, I'll tell you what's made me so pleased this week, so Mm -hmm. happy, so excitable. It was a spring statement, wasn't it? Well, I mean, it was wild. Was wild. Uh, well, well, yes. <laughs> wild. It was a strange thing, wasn't it? I mean, obviously for weeks we've been told it's, it was going to be modest. We knew it was going to be slimmed down. Yeah, yeah, and we knew there was going to be no new taxation, no new policy. Yeah. But then we saw, I started getting a sniff over the weekend about some potential, potentially quite interesting consultations. Mm-hmm. You know when you're getting excited about consultation, <laughs> it's not a great thing to do. Um, around the spring statement, but but even some of the ones that I was sort of given a nod about weren't in there. No, I mean it was pretty much it was an update, wasn't it? Which wasn't surprising. Well, it's fine. I mean, business like it and the city like it being sort of one fiscal event a year. Yes, I dare say that he will end up doing two again, or the next chance will <laughs> end up doing two again. Because I think Ken Clark went from two to one, yeah, and then back to two. Mm-hmm. Gordon Brown went from two to one, back to two. Mm-hmm. If my memory serves me correctly, I think George Osborne did as well. <laughs> Following the footsteps of all the greats. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, the um, chancellors sometimes need to intervene, don't they? And the politicians like doing that, don't yeah. they? Because they need to buy votes sometimes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we're back at two <laughs> uh, two fiscal interventions a year before too long. I mean, but, if, if he's still chancellor, of course. Well, yes, but I think the first thing the next <laughs> chancellor will do is scrap the statement and make it a... Yeah. Uh, Make it a mini budget. Yep. So, what was in there? Well, I mean, there was there was stuff in there, but the big Brexit line, wasn't it? Was there? It looks like we'll be paying the divorce bill up to twenty sixty four. Yeah, twenty sixty four. That's a long way away. I will be eighty four. Oh God, I don't even know. About Is that right? Will I be eighty four? <laughs> I guess I will. Yeah, eighty four. Um, still doing this pod, no doubt. Still, obviously, every week we'll be <laughs> yeah. here. Um, but yeah, and um, we kind of knew about the well, how much it was going to be already, didn't we? But the Office of Budget Responsibility is totally thirty-seven billion, um, as we know, um, which you know, and a little bit will have to be paid before the next election. So maybe by next week, who knows? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, these payments of a few hundred million, small change, are going to be due for forty-eight years after the result. Um, this is for pensions and other projects. But Brexiteers who want to cut us loose with a clean cut aren't going to be happy about this, are they? It's a, it, 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 as, <laughs> with regards to transitional periods, it's yes. quite a hefty one, isn't it? Yes, 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 yes. There was also some. There was also an announcement about the money that had been put aside for Brexit planning. I yeah, think, yeah. Um, and I think there were some winners and losers, weren't there? I think the the budget for the Department of Culture is one of the lowest. Um, what would they use the money on, though? I don't know, integrating European culture into our... Uh, or not removing or, European or culture. Kind of, you know, keeping it but rebranding it as British culture. Yeah, good, that's good, all right. Um, but yeah, so outside, there, there was stuff outside of Brexit as well, wasn't there? So the gains were a lot... Well, as I say a lot, they were lower than expected. Um, but that didn't stop Philip Hammond kind of looking towards a light at the end of the austerity tunnel. Well, I think it's interesting this, isn't it? Because I thought, the way that they were banging on about the figures, I thought they were going to be better than they actually were. Yeah, there was a lot of kind of 
excitement about yeah. how good they were when they were only just kind of okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think the budget before the uh, crash mm-hmm. was Alistair Darling, and uh, and he was talking about two percent growth mm-hmm. across the board. We were predicted one point five last year. We we ended up with one point seven. But then they tail off in the next few years. Yeah, I mean, it's not brilliant. You know, we all know about Boris Johnson crowing on about a global Britain that's going to conquer new markets across the world with Brexit. Hasn't happened. And with these figures, it doesn't kind of look... I mean, I know we haven't left yet, but the Eurozone at the moment is kind of booming and we're not really getting off the ground. Um, It it is a worry. But the irony in that, you know, is that those little nuggets of good news that were in there, those little bits of um, growth were only possible because of the better looking markets outside of outside of ours. Um, It's been offset by that buoyancy elsewhere. It is a worry. And I thought I I thought that um, Labour's response to it was was fairly robust and fairly well handled. Yeah. 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 but it felt to me almost like a greatest hits tour. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? It was like when the band get back together yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, like steps get back together. Yeah, and I go prefer out the Spice do... Girls, but okay. Oh well, I'm I'm not sure you could compare Philip Hammond to the Spice Girls. <laughs> Which one would he be? Oh, Porsche. I think. <laughs> well, yeah. He's got the hair actually, yeah, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. In fact, does he look a bit like Victoria Beckham? They can be related. They could be sisters. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he told us about all the great things he'd done yeah. for the last two years, yeah. eighteen months. Really, a bit like a CV. Yeah, and 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 not and not a lot else really. We had a bit about reusable plastics, mm-hmm. which we're told could include chewing gum. Yes, but that's single-use plastic. After I've chewed my gum, I put it on the side and come back to it later. You're very eco-friendly. <laughs> Absolutely, I, 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 it carries on being chewy. So why buy more? Well, why indeed? I bought I bought one pack of chewing gum in 1988, and I've still not got to the end of it. Lovely, that's a lovely image for yeah. all the listeners. I, I take my chewing gum out while I'm eating, obviously. Obviously, you're not a monster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there was uh, what else was there? There was um, some stuff about this wishy-washy stuff about successful businesses helping less successful businesses. Yeah, I mean, it was all pretty wishy-washy. You know, it, I think there was quite a lot of kind of double-speak going on where, you know, yeah, say, oh, in the future we might be able to ease up on austerity uh-huh. measures a bit, but also kind of priming for some more. And, uh, you know, it's you, know, you can't say that we are, that the economy's doing really well, which was kind of the message even though the figures didn't support it but then also be like but we we need to carry on austerity for the moment it was all yeah. a bit strange he sort of hinted at some loosening of the purse strings didn't he yes in, uh in the autumn yeah, yeah. but uh i think what he probably has done is, is started the started the lobbying race from everyone to try and get some of that cash if it is going to become available yeah. in the autumn yeah. he's already under huge pressure oh, from yeah. the public mm-hmm. The public are sick of austerity now. We saw that in the general, uh, the general election yeah. last year. I'm not sure they ever particularly liked it. Um, it the opposition are on at him, obviously, yeah. as you would expect, and quite rightly so. But also, people within his own cabinet are asking for cash. Yeah, of course. Um, and, you know, there's been... Only a few months ago, we heard um, Boris talking about maybe now's the time to, to relax the finances with regard to pay caps and stuff. Yeah. Gavin Williamson is definitely knocking on number 11 this week and asking for more money for defence. Mm-hmm. So 
it's a difficult tightrope this for him, isn't it? Because he's saying, we're doing well, there might be some more money soon, but no, you can't have any. Yeah, it's not for you, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's a difficult one for him. Yeah. But at the same time, he's, he, he's trying to... Um, and, and this is pretty much the whole essence of the of the statement that he gave was to say that you can trust us with the economy, that you can trust the Tories with the economy, yeah. and you can't trust Labour. And um, that is a, a something that that will dog Labour because of you know their fairly uncosted manifesto. Well, and... yeah, but you know, the thing is to not to bang on about about Brexit, but. It, I think it'd be this difficult. This is a Brexit it is. podcast. It is. Um, <laughs> wait, is it? <laughs> if anyone's still listening at, at episode 45 or whatever. And they don't know that. Board of Brexit. Um, well, the thing is, is that he can't... If he's going to say, yes, we've got a bit more cash and you can have it. Well, the problem is, is that the Treasury hasn't changed its position on the heavy economic cost of leaving the yeah. EU. Yeah. And the thing is, he doesn't... They, they don't know what they're planning for yet. You know, he said in the spring statement, we're still planning for all eventualities. So if everything really does go tits up and it's a no-deal situation, he's got to be prepared for that. So he can't start giving out cash all over the place no. I, I, when I you do, know what's going to happen. I, I, do, I do feel... I, I don't dislike Philip Hammond. No. Um, I, I do feel a bit sorry for him. I think he's in a difficult situation. Um, and it's difficult to make any kind of predictions. I know that it's the OBR yeah. that do it, but... To take any kind of predictions that seriously for for years in the future is difficult because we simply do not know. No. The other thing is that light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. It could be getting bigger because it's the you know Brexit train approaching. Yeah, yeah, that's, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what it feels like to me. I don't want to uh, strain that analogy too far, but the, there is going to be some big economic issues with Brexit. Yeah, of course there are. I mean, in time, it might come out in the wash, but initially, it's going to cost us money. Yeah, it's going to cost us money. And, you know, we... And we know, don't we, that behind the scenes, um, Philip Hammond's going to be tussling with with Boris Johnson, with, you know, David Davis, to try and make sure that this is the best deal possible. But I don't think he believes in it. So it's it's difficult for him. He definitely doesn't. Okay, well, spreadsheet Phil, thanks very much for not very much. <laughs> but it took up a few hours of my afternoon on Monday. Kept so. you busy, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did, it did. Cheers, Jerry. Brexiteer of the Week. Welcome back. I'm joined by Steve. It is time for Brexiteer of the Week. Steve. So much choice. So much choice this week. Shall we start with the uh, with Farage? I would love to. He's shown his, his ability to unite people from all different walks of life this week, Nigel Farage. How so, you ask? <laughs> well, on the one hand, he was called a p- weasel by the agit rockers Rage Against the Machine. Ah. Uh, uh, because yeah. you. Yeah. I won't do what you tell me. you. I will do what you tell me if you're <laughs> from Russia. Um, um He's, his new podcast is called Farage Against the Machine, isn't it? So he's um, brilliant. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a good one that. And um, and they so they've called him a p- weasel for uh, appropriating their name for the title of his shoddy new podcast. Uh, Nicholas Soames, Churchill's grandson yes. and the no longer rotund Tory MP, yeah, 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 also commented on the news of this podcast being launched, and then. Churchill's grandson, the no longer rotund Tory MP Nicholas Soames, joined in, and do you know what he called him? Yes, I do. Yeah, <laughs> he called him a twat, and then 
he clarified that. He said total nuclear-powered chateau bottled. Wow. Which is quite the insult, isn't it, now? Yeah. We're going to put this up on social media, but we want new European readers to tell us what their favourite insult about Nigel Farage is. Is it Pound Shop Enoch Powell, copyright Russell Brand? Is it P***s Weasel, copyright Rage Against the Machine? Is it Total Nuclear Powered Chateau Bottle copyright Nicholas Soames? Or is it Nicotine Stained Manfrog, copyright the new European? Yeah, you actually. Well, me, yeah. Yeah. Um, So look out for that on on the socials, as the kids say. On um, Soames, has he got a diet video or something? He's, yeah, he has. He's got a workout. Has he? Yeah, yeah, the Nicholas Soames workout. Is it like one of Davina's ones? Is it like a 15-minute yeah. job? Yeah, it is. It's beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got leotard on and everything. Oh, warmers. I've got to see this. Little what, sweat, sweat band this soaking feel, up his feel sweat. Feel the burn. Feel the burn. Yeah. Sure do you know what there. he said? Do, do you remember what Nicholas Soames said, by the way? One of the great all-time parliamentary quotes. What he, when he was promoted to the cabinet by John Major, do you know what he said? I can't remember. He said, oh, darling, Prime Minister, I think I'm going to blob. <laughs> God bless Nicholas Soames. Should we talk about the Daily Express? In fact, let's talk about Roma Agrawal. I was unaware of this yeah. woman. Yeah, no, um, yeah. She's a structural engineer. She works on the Shard, and she appeared on Question Time last week. And half an hour, she was very good, mm. and half an hour into it, she was at somebody mentioned Brexit and she said, I'm quoting, these are her exact words, I am fed up of politicians. What I really want to see is a vision from both the big parties telling me why my life is going to be better outside the EU. And I'm absolutely not convinced at this point in time. She so was quite, the engineer, wasn't she? Quite clear, the engineer, that's yeah. right. And here is how the Daily Express's live question time blog <laughs> reported Roma yeah. Agrawal's yeah. words. 23.16pm, Roma Agrawal has called for the country to get behind Brexit. Oh, yeah. The structural engineer has said she's bored of politicians arguing between themselves over Brexit. She's called for consensus so that Brexit can be made a success. That's clear. clear. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. I once had a meeting in the uh, <laughs> Northern and Shell building, which is impressive. It down is. Down on the banks of Thames. And I went into the main desk and... I went up and I asked for the person I was meeting. Yes. And the very nice lady behind there said, take a seat, Mr. Porritt. Yeah. And I looked around and there were all the seats were kind of taken. Apart from this one chair, armchair, big purple back. Um, oh, yeah. Beautiful, like, arms and, you know, like purple velvet. Well, so I thought, good. well, this is perfect for me. Yeah. It's like being at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Prince's home, perhaps. Yes. So I wandered over to said seat, and there was a TV screen playing stuff from Channel 5 in the background, and just as I was about to sit down, I turned and was lowering my bottom onto the seat. <laughs> I realised that this was the Big Brother diary chair that they did. Wonderful. And it was at that moment I thought it probably wasn't best to be introduced to someone I was about to have a fairly serious meeting with while... While sitting so, in the... So I did an incredible sort of pirouette and... Brilliant. And decided just to stand. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I too have my own chair story, which I will yeah. now relate to yes. you, uh, podcast listeners. I once, I once, in a previous incarnation, I used to write a lot about sports, and I was once sent to interview Nigel Benn at yeah. his palatial Essex home. Oh, yeah. And when I came in, he was it was it was early in the afternoon, and he was I think he'd had quite a big night, right. and he was still in his dressing gown, right? And he had a giant screen TV in his front room, and he was playing Tomb Raider Two on it, which had just been released, right? 
and I think it was he, he was claiming it was a pre-release on his he, Atari ST. And he went, he had a huge, huge TV, massive, one of those massive old screen TVs, and he went, come in. Um, I'm just, I've just got to finish this level because it's been killing me, and I've just got this <laughs> game. It's on pre-release, oh, and um, and he he sort of took up his place right in front of this giant TV, and he said to me behind, shouted sort of, sit anywhere you like, and loads of seats, couches in this huge living room. He had one seat, full size, um, beautiful red leather seat in the shape of a boxing glove. So I was just, as you say, just about to lower my buttocks into there. He heard the squeak, and he went, not there. <laughs> without take, once taking his, fa- his, his face from in front of the TV. Not that. Did he complete level? I'd, he did, yeah. He made, he watched the, yeah. he made me watch it all. He For how completed long? it. It was about 10 minutes, and then we did the interview. Wow. Yeah, no, not there. Any, really sit anywhere you like, not there. Now, <laughs> David Curtin. Oh, yeah. The Brian Blessed of UKIP, isn't he? He's a big, burly man, David, <laughs> David Curtin. I, he, he, when he stood for the UKIP leadership... I thought his, his slogan should have been curtains. It's curtains for UKIP, yeah. but he didn't take me up on it, and yeah, then he lost yeah. to Henry Bolton. Yeah. Um, anyway, in 2017, I like to watch the speeches of Henry Bolton, uh, of Henry Bolton, and I like to watch the speeches of, of David Curtin as well. Yes, we in these. September 2017, I think while he was stumping for this, uh, yeah. for the big job, would have been. David Curtin made a speech, and he was going on about snowflake culture. He hates snowflake culture, doesn't he, yeah, yeah. David Curtin? And he said that, that if, people should, if people hear something which offends them, and I'm quoting here, they should just simply leave the room and go to a safe space. Yes. And in March 2018, David Curtin heard something that he found offensive because he was watching Sky News and he saw Vince Cable... Uh, speaking to the Lib Dem Spring Conference and saying that old people with nostalgia for the past and who like to see white faces voted for Brexit. And do you know what David Curtin did? I'm going to give you two two options here. A, did he follow his own advice and simply leave the room and go to a safe space? Yeah. Or B, did he ring up the Metropolitan Police and report Vince well, Cable I, for an alleged I mean, hate crime? I, I've met Mr Curtin. I'd imagine that he would have... R- r- Gone to a safe space. No, it's, I'm oh. afraid it's B. No, he reported Vince Cable to the Metropolitan Police for a, an alleged hate crime. What a precious snow, little snowflake. What a, a precious snowflake. large snowflake. Yeah, I'm, con- I'm, I'm confused about safe spaces because surely every space should be a safe space. Well, what does it mean? I don't know. Is there an unsafe space? Well, there's this lot of this talk about safe spaces for for women. Well, I mean, I think everywhere should be should safe be for... it, the ideal would be a safe space everywhere, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, good. Let's go with that. Um, should we talk about Roger Helmer next? I, I love talking about Roger yes. Helmer. Um, he is back on the Twitter after his trip to New Zealand, where yes. last week he claimed they'd never been offered a transition period when we joined the EEC, and then we had to point out. Last week, that in fact they had a five-year transition period. Anyway, happy he's back from New Zealand. Him. Happy to correct yeah. Roger, if you're listening. He's back on Twitter and he said he tweeted, "I'm profoundly supportive of the transatlantic alliance and a future US-UK trade deal, but American Scotch whiskey and American Cornish pasties are a step too far. Mm. They would amount to deliberate misrepresentation, mm. and indeed they would." And Thankfully, cheap and nasty knockoff American versions of traditional British fare can't be sold in the UK at present 
can they? Because they've got protected statuses, things right. like Cornish pasties yes. and Scotch whisky. Yeah, quality guarantee. And they've got that thanks to the EU. Mm. And I'm afraid that is the sort of Brussels red tape that Roger and his pals have been railing against for years and years, isn't it? There's a lot of mixed messages from Roger. It'll disappear after Brexit. Mm. But then maybe Roger Helmer could launch his own Brexiteer pasty, which would have a crusty (laughs) exterior and it would contain thick mints and a load of vegetables. (laughs) Um, Philip Davis, he's lovely, isn't he? Lovely. He is the MP for Shipley in West Yorkshire. He's the man who... um, he, tr- he tried to filibuster out the Treaty on Domestic Violence, didn't he? That, was, right. his, that yeah. was his big claim to fame. That was his greatest hit. He talked for 90 minutes, didn't he, to try and stop a bill on domestic violence being ratified. What a guy. He is a guy. Now, BuzzFeed found um, a load of, um, uh, of his messages on WhatsApp uh, and messages for, to his fellow members of the European Research Group, which is that weird sort of organisation run by Jacob Rees-Mogg. And in September, um, showing his keen sense of perspective, he compared allowing EU citizens free movement in the UK for two years during a transition period with the appeasement of Hitler. Yes. So which I think is, you know, that's a direct comparison. He said it, it's pathetic, it, it's a modern, uh, a, we are a modern-day Chamberlain, a modern-day Neville Chamberlain. Um, so good sense of perspective there. His subsequent messages um, included one that said all the Tory Remainers were condescending arseholes. Mm. So he's a big party unity guy. Yeah. Now, do you believe in karma? That what goes around comes around, <clears throat> that the love you make is equal to the love you take, etc., etc.? Et uh no. Well, I'm sort of beginning <laughs> to believe in karma because... After trying to talk out a a treaty on domestic violence and comparing uh, basic human rights with the appeasement of Hitler, um, Philip Davis is shortly going to get married to the delightful work and pension secretary, Esther McVeigh. So there you go. What goes around comes around. But the Brexiteer of the week is David Davis. Yeah. He should be every week. What a f***ing idiot. Anyway, (laughs) what's your favourite newspaper after the New European? Oh, oh, that's a good question. It is. Well, I, I, I have to say, I'm a newspaper saddo. Yeah, you do. You are well. I buy news, a I buy newspapers wherever I go. I even put in orders when other people go to That's places right, to yeah. pick up newspapers you for do. me, don't I? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think that regional newspapers could learn a lot from the Yorkshire Post. Yeah. And I think that the best newspaper... The best national newspaper is probably the weekend edition of the Financial Times. Well, that's good. But I like the Times of Malta. Oh, well, I, that would be my next choice. Because this week they gave David Davis a full page to speak his brains about, um, about Brexit and right. that. Oh, and, we need to get some ads on there. And he said, both the UK, he wrote, both the UK and Malta have got services at the heart of our economies. So a bespoke free trade deal that includes zero tariffs on services is in our mutual interest. And this was deemed such a, a strong thing to say that it was even, what we call it, sort of pulled out. It was pulled yeah. out as a pull-out quote. Pull quote, yeah. A pull quote, yeah. And it's quite depressing, isn't it, to have to point out that there are zero tariffs on services already. Yes. There are zero tariffs on services in our deals with Malta, yeah. in our deals with the... The EU, yeah. in our deals with everybody, yeah. because there aren't any tariffs on services. That's there right. are some barriers to 
your services um, being used in other countries, um, but tariffs on services don't actually exist anywhere in the world. No. But how can you expect somebody like David Davis to know that? It's because not like he's got an important job. Yeah, of course. And and if people think that that's a bit petty, and he he, he probably meant so he meant probably meant barriers. Yeah. Or something like that. Nah. You've got to think that somebody in David Davis's department would have checked that piece, as 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 you do when when you get a politician to write for you. Yeah. I've spent many unhappy hours talking to boring politicians on a Sunday morning, going, "Can you know? Can we put up this piece on our website?" And uh, and people check through it line by line. So somebody. Yeah. David Davis and one of his underlings will have gone through that and gone, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one knows what the f*** they're doing. Yeah. So David Davis is the Brexiteer of the week. What should the listener do right now, Steve? Well, they should go straight to our social media channels to vote in our great um, Nigel Farage insult poll. Is it, 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 who would you vote for? I'm biased, but I would vote for Nicotine Stone Manfrog. Right. Okay. Um, Surprise. This weasel is quite good as well, isn't it? Is, it? it is good, yeah. It is good. Uh, so you could go there. We're, find us on Facebook, the New European, and there's a, now a, a readers group as well, New European Readers, at uh, the New European on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at S Anglesey, S A N G L E S E Y. Or you can follow me. I'm at Porrit. That's P-O-R-R-I-T-T. And don't forget to leave excellent reviews for this podcast on your podcasting catcher of choice. That was the New European Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you haven't already, go and get the paper. It's out now. It's a stonker. There's tons of politics and tons of Brexit, as you might expect. But there's also lots and lots of culture. Until next week, Mr Campbell... Play your bagpipes. how much my shopping bill was this week have a think about it oh yeah well yeah yeah all right that sounds good yeah, yeah.